all have needs and desires and seek to discover our own erotic journey. You've come to the right place. This is Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver, presented by SDC. In the next hour, we're here to answer your burning questions about relationships, sexuality, and health from the leading sex experts and professionals. Now, here is your host, Lexi Silver. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver. And as usual, we have a very lectual show for you today. We're going to talk about how you can become a master or mistress in the art of seduction, how to fulfill your fantasies, and discover how to become a great lover. And joining me today to give you the sexy advice are two of my favorite sex education superheroes, Dr. Jessica O'Reilly and Marla Stewart, who are about to release their upcoming book, The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay, Techniques and Strategies for Mind-Blowing Sex. Oh, God, that sounds so good. You can check that out in print and digitally as of April 14th from Clay's Press. Now, before we start our chat with Dr. Jess and Marla, I want to thank our sponsor, SDC.com, the biggest worldwide resource for adult sex education, where you can also access the world's largest open-minded dating platform. Use my special promo code 7070 to get two months free at SDC.com. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC. So get ready to fearlessly embrace your lectuality with Jess, Marla, and I. Let me tell you a little bit more about my special guests today in case you don't know them already. Joining me again on my podcast, yay, is the sex architect, Marla Renee Stewart, MA, a sexologist, intimacy, relationship, and sex coach, speaker, and author. She runs her own sexuality education company, Velvet Lips, as well as Contract Liberation, a company focused on research for nonprofit groups. She teaches sociology and women's and gender studies at Clayton State University, and she's the co-founder of Sex Down South Conference in Atlanta, which I absolutely love. You have to check that out. Marla brings diverse groups together to learn and share their experiences and foster sexual liberation across communities. Over the last 19 years, she's given over 400 workshops, written over 200 articles, and been featured in more than 50 magazines, books, podcasts, and independent TV shows. She was recently featured on Netflix's Trigger Warning with Killer Mike, Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, and filmed as a sex expert for Personal Injury Court and Bad Girls Club Atlanta. Marla is currently writing a chapter and co-editing an intersectional approach to sex therapy coming in 2021, and just co-wrote her first book, The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay with Dr. Jessica O'Reilly, who is also here with us today. Dr. Jessica O'Reilly, PhD, best-selling author, TV host, and top-rated international speaker whose award-winning couples retreats span the globe from Istanbul to Albuquerque. She's worked with thousands of couples to improve communication, heighten intimacy, and deepen connection before they encounter struggles in their relationships. Her sex and relationship advice is featured regularly by Showtime, Cosmo, Women's Health, Men's Fitness, CTV, CBC, ABC, and The Globe and Mail. And now greatest.com. Dr. Jess is a top-rated keynote speaker. She designs interactive educational programs that leave participants with the motivation and skills to improve the way they think and behave in their relationships. Welcome back to my show, Marla and Jess. I'm so excited to have you back. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for letting us be on the show. I'm happy to be here. I'm sure we're happy, both happy to be here. <laughs> yes. Likewise. I am so excited about your upcoming book, The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. And I've met both of you on many occasions. We've spent some time together. And I know you've known each other for some time, but I want to know what inspired you to write this together. Ha ha ha. 
this was a title that the Ultimate Guide series really wanted to publish because even though we call it seduction and foreplay, it is sex because one person's seduction is another person's main event. One person's foreplay is another person's, you know, Tuesday breakfast. <laughs> and so, so yeah, and, and when they actually came to me to write it and I thought of Marla and her approach to seduction. So she is the ultimate expert in seduction in terms of looking at the way your learning style affects how you want to be seduced. And I thought that would be such an important part of the book. And I realized it can't be a chapter. It's really the core of the book. So I said, I can only do this if I collaborate with Marla. And lucky enough, Marla said, sure, I'd love to write a book. <laughs> Does she know what she was getting into? <laughs> because, you know, people think that writing a book is so exciting, but writing a book is sitting in front of your computer all by yourself. And then when it finally comes to fruition and you see it in print and you can touch the pages, if I don't know, Marla has a copy of the book. I don't have one yet because I'm way <laughs> up in Canada. I haven't crossed the border. But Marla, isn't it like magical to have it in your hand? Yes. I'm like, oh my God, we did this thing. It's amazing. And oh my, are people going to like it? I like it. What's happening? Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's awesome. I have no doubt people are going to like it. And Jess, I totally understand what you mean about Marla being this expert in seduction. I had the pleasure of attending actually both of your workshops on multiple occasions. And Marla, I remember the one that you did in Arizona at Southwest Love Fest uh, last year and was lucky to be in the audience. And I learned a lot about my learning style and how that affects the way I want to be seduced or how I would seduce other people. So I want to break that down a bit. I want to talk a little about seduction. And for some people, they think that seduction has a lot to do with, you know, talking dirty in a deep and sexy voice and maybe wearing sexy clothes and doing all these sexy things, but it's more than that. So I'd love to hear from you what your perspective is on what seduction means. Yeah. So for me, seduction, it means a variety of things, right? But it's a, really about catering to people. And I think people just don't understand when we, we, we talk about seduction, we're talking about the act of teasing. We're talking about pleasing someone. And you know, when we're involved sexually, we all want to be able to please someone. So the seduction learning style is a way to sort of maximize the way that you seduce. And the way that we are seduced essentially is the way that we learn different things in our lives. Now, not to say that people can't be seduced or learn more than one way, but generally there's, you know, one or two ways that people get seduced by the most. So, so yeah, so whether that's visual, whether that's, you know, auditory, whether that's kinesthetic or tactile, physical touch, understanding, you know, how to seduce someone is the most, one of the most important things you can do because once you learn the how, everything else is a piece of cake. So everything else you can do with ease. And that's what I hint towards when I talk about sort of planting a sex seed. Understanding who they are as a person, who's what they're learning, and then how to plant a sex seed so that you can get what you want from them essentially and seduce them in the way that they would like to be seduced. It's the sexiest kind of manipulation for a good cause. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Use uh, it for good only, please. Somebody in a workshop asked me, like, can people use this for evil? And I'm like, people can use anything for evil. So, yes, but uh, yes, use it in a good way. Use it in a way that you think your lover would enjoy. And I've had lots of different feedback from many different people. I had one man almost crying to me because he thought seduction was a bad thing. And then once I taught him sort of how to do it, his wife ended up 
messaging me and was just like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. This is so amazing. We've connected and this hasn't been since like for like 10 years. And so I was really just feeling really good about how the angle that I have um, helped people to understand what seduction is. Oh, I love that. Sorry, go ahead, Jess. Not at all. Yeah, I think because of pickup culture, we come to associate seduction with being manipulative or using tactics that involve pressure or swindling uh, for the purpose of hooking up or having sex. They, pickup artists, have stolen the language of seduction and conflated it with deception. But this isn't what we're talking about when we when we talk about seduction. And we know that, you know, for our readers, that's not what they're looking for. When we refer to seduction, we're putting consent and mutual desire mm-hmm. as core underpinnings. It's not about just getting what you want. It's about getting and giving mm-hmm. pleasure of all types so that everyone involved, whether it's you seducing yourself, you seducing a partner, you involved in a threesome, you involved in a, a gangbang, whatever it is, it's so that all parties reap the sexual and non-sexual, the emotional, the psychological, the social and practical rewards. And so, there, you know, in, in the beginning of the book, we address two items that are really important to us. One, the fact that sex means different things to different people. And it's up to you to decide what sex means to you. And we believe that every section of the book will apply regardless of how you define sex, because we've got tons of folks who still define sex as, you know, a penis going into a vagina. And then, of course, we realize that most of us, you know, Marla and I even personally can speak to the fact that for me isn't my core picture of what sex is. I don't know about Marla. I'm sure you can speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah, I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm not there I mean, it's yourself. true. You know it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, number one is redefining sex. And number two is taking back the language of seduction and uh, making sure that there's no conflation between seduction and pickup artistry, which is really about manipulation. Right. And I love that you're saying that because there is that a lot of people do see that because of pickup culture, like you said, that it is a uh, kind of deceptive thing. It's a manipulative thing. And it, but in relationships and also, you know, let me be specific in healthy relationships where everybody is on the same page, everybody wants, you know, the other person to feel really good. And, you know, this process of giving and receiving, like you said, which is really, you know, ultimately what we're hoping for in a healthy relationship, you know, seduction can become a really fun tool to keep the intimacy alive. So in what ways would you say that, you know, seduction and foreplay are key to honing those skills to become a fantastic lover? Well, ultimately, you know, sex is in many ways about pleasure, whether it's emotional pleasure or physical pleasure. And the the thing about seduction, if we see it as a form of anticipation, it is the ultimate indulgence in pleasure, right? We often think about pleasure from a a chemical reaction perspective, spikes in dopamine. And dopamine levels are actually higher when you're anticipating a reward than when you receive the reward. And why I think it's not as simple as building anticipation, but looking for multiple pathways so that you're always changing things up. Why that is so important is that dopamine levels actually double when you're anticipating a reward, but it becomes unpredictable. And that's why resources and ongoing learning, not just our book, but all the different resources out there are so important because even if you master a specific skill in a moment, you always want to be adding to that repertoire, especially if you have a long-term partner or partners, because once something becomes predictable, it's simply can be a little bit less exciting. And so if you have all these different ways to seduce with your hands, with your eyes, with your fingertips, with your breath, with your tongue, with your words, with your text, with your videos, with your voice notes, and like we just, we have a voluminous (laughs) quantity 
of, of really specific instructions, right? We, we, um, we mm-hmm. use seduction instructions, which are homework assignments in the book. We have tantalizing tips that you can kind of use right now. We have lover's inquiries, which are questionnaires and interviews that you complete either on your own or with your partners. And we really want people to take this into their own hands because sex doesn't have to be as complicated as we've made it. Yeah. And I think it's also just about bringing awareness too. It's like bring awareness to your body, what your body can do, bring awareness to you mentally, what you're capable of, what your desires are, and also being aware of like what your partner's needs are and understanding, hey, you know, this position might be good for you, but it might not be good for me. So I really just bringing awareness to, to all the things that can make your interactions sexy. Oh, I love that. And, you know, something that you have each individually talked about on different occasions, I really do talk about this a lot, is self-confidence. And being confident in your body, in your skin, in your mind really does, in my opinion, and in, I mean, I guess, generally speaking, make you a better lover. And it helps you become a little bit more attentive to not just yourself, but also the other person or the other people who are involved in whatever pleasure you are trying to have mutually. So how can that confidence translate into you becoming a better lover? Well, uh, the confidence comes into how it translates into you being a better lover is it's also about that awareness piece, right? So understanding what are the things that are not so sexy about you, right? So I have an exercise called uh, building your sexual confidence in the book. And what it is, is basically like understanding what your negative qualities are, understanding what are the positive qualities that are in line with those negative qualities. So for instance, if I am insecure about my body, the positive aspect of that would be that I have an awareness of what my body looks like, maybe compared to other people, right? Now, the other thing is thinking about the counter aspect to that negative quality, which is sort of the opposite, right? So when we ever, whenever we have something negative about ourselves, we usually try to change it, right? So it's understanding what the positive thing is about that negative thing. And then what, what is the opposite thing that we want to achieve? But then also understanding that there are so many things about us that we can rely on to build our confidence. And using that in a way and understanding who we are sexually, understand what our assets are sexually and what we'd like to be sexually, right? So for instance, using these affirmations are a good way to help you with your dirty talk, right? If you're not a good dirty talker, I know for me personally, I was not a very good dirty talker, right? I was very scared. Whenever someone talked dirty, I was like, oh my God, what is it? What's happening? What are they saying? <laughs> and so to help me build up my confidence for something like that, I really had to put in the work around my awareness of why did I feel these feelings? What can I change around how I dirty talk? What are the phrases that I need? Or what are the things that would help equip me to make me a better dirty talker? And practicing, right, those things. So all of those things culminate into helping me build my sexual confidence around being a great dirty talker. And so the same thing can happen when you, in general, for, you know, general aspects of yourself that you want to change. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll, um, I'll add to that. When we think about confidence, I think we think about performance. And if we differentiate between self-esteem being how you really feel about yourself and confidence being, you know, your, your belief in your ability to be able to do something, I think the more you learn, the more you talk, the more we normalize conversations around sex, your confidence inevitably 
increases. And I think we need to remind ourselves that not every sexual experience has to be a perfect 10. Not every sexual experience, and I think Marla, we write this in the book, has to be an eight-course gastronomical tasting menu. Like sometimes a quick burger tastes really, really good. And it isn't this, you know, it's not a molecular gastronomy experience. And I think we need to be easier on ourselves. So as people attempt these different seduction moves or sexual techniques, anything, whether it's a conversation about sex or a new position or a new toy or a new way of touching your partner, let's, re- let's really try and relieve ourselves of pressure so that we know that like, hey, this might go great. This might be neutral. This might be not so positive, And that's okay because I feel good about myself and I'm confident that if, if this doesn't work, we can try something else. You know, we're so hard on ourselves when it comes to sex. And I yeah. feel that our job as educators is, is to assuage some of that pressure to be incredible all the time. And, and there are different ways to be incredible. Let's say I try a new technique and physically my partner doesn't love it. Um, maybe it isn't a positive experience physically, but it becomes a really positive and meaningful experience intimately because we share a conversation about what we like or don't, don't like. Or maybe my partner reveals something about their past that relates to why they didn't love that move physically. And I learn something about them and feel more connected to them. So there's always, you know, even if the sex itself, like the, if, if we consider sex the physical act, for example, even if that is not the 10 or the 100%, there's probably some corollary benefit that you know that you gain or your partner gains or, or that you gain together. That's an excellent point. I think we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves, especially you know with newer partners that we haven't yet built that long term a relationship with or that intimacy with. That we put that pressure to perform, and you know the slightest thing that maybe the, your partner doesn't like makes us feel kind of bad about ourselves. Like, oh, what did I do wrong? Like, you know, oh, I'm I'm not good at this, and it makes us feel kind of insecure. But taking that pressure away, alleviating that, and saying it's okay to not always have those positive experiences is such an important tool. It's so important. I'm glad that you really do mention that in the book. I think a lot of people need to be reminded of that. And so we were talking about seduction before as well. And I was saying in Marla's workshop, how I learned the different learning styles and like how I like to be seduced and how, you know, maybe different people can be seduced. And we all know from experience that the same seduction moves do not work on everyone. They just don't. And so how do you know, how can you find out the best way to seduce your lover, especially if you you know, maybe it's a brand new person in your life and you, do, you really don't know maybe all that much about them. There's that new experience versus the, I've been with my partner for 20 years and, you know, you kind of have a better idea of them. So what's the best way to kind of get familiarized with maybe the things that you could do that would be really hot to seduce them? The first thing I'm, I want to say is just you can you can cheat or have a <laughs> sex hack, which I have a quiz on, <laughs> and uh, in the quiz, you know, it kind of if you answer questions to the quiz, it sort of gives you an idea of who that person is or what they are like. Um, but if you don't have that in front of you, a really good way to know if someone's say auditory is to give them a question, right? So ask them a question and see how they answer. Right. If they're an auditory person and you ask them, you know, how was your day? And they'll usually say something like, well, I woke up this morning and on the wrong side of the bed, I was just really grumpy. And then I went to take a shower and then they have, they go into this sort of long speech, right? And they tell you everything about their day. And so if you ask that same question to a person who's visual or tactile, they might not answer really quick. They'll probably answer like, oh, you know, my day was pretty good. 
you know, I had a pretty productive day or whatever. It might be very short and sweet. And thinking about someone who's visual, right? Eye contact, eye contact, you know, a lot of in our culture, we tell people just eye contact, eye contact, but eye contact doesn't work for everyone, but it particularly works for people who are visual. Right. <laughs> oh, so you know, if you dress up and see what their reactions are, generally you can tell if they are a visual person. And for tactile, it could be, sometimes I just say, like, take them to a store, you know, take them to a store and see what they do, right? If they're touching everything on the shelves, most likely they're probably tactile, right? And they need to, they need to be able to be seduced that way. So those are like a few ways that you can tell what learning style someone is. I like that idea. I love that. Yeah, I like that. You know, take them to a store and see what they do. You know, that would so be me just touching all the different fabrics. Like, ooh, that feels nice. Ooh, I like that. That is so. That is so my learning style. Totally. Jess, what do you think? Well, you know, I'm more audio, and so, and I'm definitely like a conversation and words person. So, you know, we give you questions and prompts that you can use. So the, I can, you know, there's hundreds of them in the book, but I want to share some now, you know, to just start a conversation about what your partner likes. You can say, I always say that multiple choice or yes or no questions can be a little helpful just to begin the conversation. Cause you, if you ask someone what they like, they're going to say oh, everything or I don't know. But if you say, do you like when I stroke you there? Or do you like when I whisper this way or show me how you like it in this position or what can I do for you right now? Or one of my favorite turn to pop culture, what did you think about that scene from that show last night? How did you feel about the way she spoke? How do you feel about the way he moved? Uh, Simple questions like, if I were to seduce you tomorrow, would you want me to do it here? Would you want me to do it there? Uh, How would you want the lighting? What would you want me to wear? Uh, Is there anything you'd like me to do Mm -hmm. to make sex more exciting right now? Do you like to be touched here or there? What words do you love to hear? What words do you want me to avoid? Uh, when you're, you know, after you have an orgasm, how do you want to be touched? What do you want to do after we have sex? All of these questions that may not sound like seduction because we've made seduction this kind of um, piece of a linear sexual model, but simply asking these questions is a great way to be, get started. And then the flip side is the more you share with your partner about what you like, the more open they are going to be to doing the same. So we give you language around, oh, I would love more ABC. You're so good at it. I had a dream about trying XYZ with you, and it got me thinking. I read an article about, I don't have any more letters, ABC again. <laughs> what, what, what do you think of that? You know, those are the conversations that we, we need to be having, right? Like, I think it's great, obviously, looking for cues. And as you get to know your partner better, you're going to be able to read them. But having these formal conversations, the way we do about everything else, again, I love to compare it to food. If I was making you, uh, you know, a, a lasagna, and I like really spicy food, I'd ask you, how much spice do you like? If I didn't know whether or not you ate meat, I would ask you that question. Do you like meat? Or do you want me to use a meat substitute? Uh, do you want the tomato sauce? Or do you want a rosé sauce? These are just regular questions we ask to under, understand people's needs better. And we can be doing the same thing when it comes to sex and seduction. 
That is such a good point. Those are great prompts. Oh, I can't wait to read this book. Okay. I'm getting really, really excited. And uh, I just want to take a really quick break because I want to get back to that. And also, you know, emphasizing that communication part with your partner, whether it's a new partner or someone you've been with for a while, that communication is essential. And it is super essential to, in terms of communicating your fantasies. And we're going to get to that in a moment. I really want to explore that with you. And for now, I just want to tell you all about the world's largest adult sex education platform, SDC.com, where you can find loads of information about sex, health, and relationships, watch videos, listen to podcasts, and read articles from professionals all around the world, like my guests today, Dr. Jess and Marla Stewart, as well as Dr. Elizabeth Sheff, John and Jackie Melfi of Open Love 101, and many more SDC contributors. I'll just add my name to that list. You could find lots of lectural resources on SDC, including all of these podcast episodes. So, we were just talking about, you know, communicating with your partner and trying to find out what it is, asking them questions to find out what it is that they like and, you know, gives you a little bit more insight into how to seduce them. And, you know, as far as communication goes, a lot of people have these fantasies that they've had forever and they've, they're maybe a little reluctant to share that with their partner for a variety of reasons. You know, maybe they're afraid of being judged or not understood, maybe rejected. But what advice would you have for people who are just kind of keeping that in and not really communicating what it is they really, really want from their partner. Jess, would you like to start? Sure. Yeah. So one of the concepts that we explore in all of our work, as well as in the book, is the concept of your core erotic feeling. Your core erotic feeling being the feeling that you, the emotion you need to experience in order to get in the mood for sex. So do you need to feel sexy? Do you need to feel loved? Do you need to feel free? Do you need to feel empowered? Do you need to feel a little bit of a threat? What is the feeling, the emotion? that underpins the possibility of sex, because this often leads to the themes that facilitate sex. So rather than having to get into the nitty gritty of the fantasy, like I want to be in the forest and I want, um, you know, all these little people watching around me and I want somebody waving a beautiful monstera leaf fan and I want to be fed grapes and I want there to be goats in the background. Like to get into the details can feel really intimidating. But if I can think about my ultimate fantasy in the forest with the goats and the people and the fan and the grapes and you, I can think about what is it I want to feel? Well, I think I just want to feel like all the attention is on me. I want to feel irresistibly desirable. So if we can talk about the feelings first, then we can help our partner understand how to fill in the blanks because there are many ways to make me feel desired. I may be hung up on that specific fantasy, but once I start exploring the underpinning feeling, then I can look for other fantasies that maybe are you know, more attainable in real life. Like maybe I don't have the forest. Maybe it's cold out. Maybe it's mosquito season. But if my partner can just overwhelm me with attention, if my partner can look me up and down like a ravenous beast, if my partner can make it really clear that they want me, they don't want sex, they want me and nothing else will do because I've identified that underlying emotion, then they can better understand how to play into my fantasies with seduction, foreplay, and all types of sex. And that sounds also just, I mean, out of out of the blue there, that sounds like a really hot fantasy about the grapes and even the goats in the background. <laughs> I got to say, that's a a really hot fantasy. But that core erotic feeling, that is something that we don't really think about very often. And I think that has a lot to do with us not always being as in touch with who we are and what we want as we maybe should be. We need to have sometimes that take that time for self-exploration. I think that's really the first step. And I think that I know you 
address that in the book, you know, as far as finding out who you are and starting with that path to self-exploration, then it's a little easier to talk to your partner about what you want sexually. But even if you know what it is that you want, having those conversations with your partner, it's really hard, right? And Jess, you mentioned a couple of prompts earlier as well about, you know, how to talk to your partner to find out things uh, about your partner. But what's a good way to maybe initiating that conversation that could be maybe a little uncomfortable? Like if I have a ravagement fantasy, which is a little intense, right? For some partners that may not understand what that is, right? So how would you go about broaching that with maybe even a new partner who you're just fresh in a relationship with or someone you've been with for 20 years who never even knew that side of you? When you're bringing up a new fantasy, of course, it feels intimidating. And so if you can just start with how you want to feel, that's one way to do it. The second is to kind of just turn to stories and storylines that turn you on. Like if you're watching something on Netflix and it really turns you on, say like, you know, this kind of makes me hot. I'm not sure why. How do you feel about it? Or if you're reading a book, highlight the passages that really turn you on. That's, you know, we talked about Fifty Shades of Grey and how it wasn't realistic. But one thing it did was start conversations. And some of the couples I know who use these types of books effectively, and of course, there are much better options out there besides that one, but they would highlight the parts that really turn them on and have their partner read it to them. Because sometimes it can be easier to talk about fictitious characters or totally unattainable scenarios rather than saying, hey, this is what I want to do right now. And then number three, when you have a fantasy, break it down because you're, you're not going to ask your partner, first of all, let's remember that not all fantasy needs to be fulfilled. Many fantasies are far hotter mm-hmm. in fantasy than reality. Many of us, mm-hmm. like me, for example, when I have a very vivid fantasy, I don't actually want it to happen. And if I did try and make it happen, it simply wouldn't be as fulfilling. And we have, you know, evidence to to that effect with many fantasies. So, you know, as we move on and we tell our partners what we're feeling or what we're desiring or what we're thinking about, break it down. You don't have to share every little detail. You can say, you know, if you want to be ravaged, for example, Lexi, you can say, I just really like the feeling of all the attention on me. Can you give me your full attention. So can you look me in the eye? Can you not take your eyes off my body? Can you put as many points of contact on my body as possible? So that might feel a little less intimidating than, you know, I want to be ravaged by 14, 14 people in a room with, you know, padded walls. So you kind of break it down into pieces and pull out the thematic elements. And in terms of prompts, Marla and I talk about in the book, we we do the sandwich where we begin with the positive. So we're laying a compliment on the sex life or the person and just saying like, oh, I love when we do this. This feels so good. So we begin with the positive. Then we ask the question or make an offer. Have you been thinking about anything lately? Is there anything I can do? Would you want to share your fantasies? And then we make our request or we share the new information. So we say something like, oh, I had a dream the other night about you know, being ravaged. And it kind of turned me on wondering if you'd like to hear more about it. So we begin with the positive, we make an offer and inquiry, and then we share or make our request. Because the reality is sometimes the reason these conversations don't go as well as we'd like them to, and sometimes our partners withdraw, or they become defensive, or they become aggressive, is that we don't always approach them in an effective way. We always blame Mm -hmm. our partner's reactions, but we don't think about how we're bringing it to the table. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we wait until we're frustrated. 
and we say things like, well, you never even asked about my fantasies. Or we say things like, Mm. oh, we haven't had sex in so long. Or we say things like, oh, you're always too aggressive with me. Like if I want my partner to be more gentle with me, if that's my fantasy for them to go slow and romantically, a complaint is going to get me nowhere. But if Mm -hmm. I say, oh, remember that time that you were kissing me so slowly, it really drove me crazy. How would you like to be kissed? I would love more of that tonight just on my fingertips. I'm going to get a lot more of what I want than saying, you always move so quickly. You don't take your time. Mm -hmm. So the way we approach it, the language of positive offer request can be really helpful. And this is, you know, this is helpful in every facet of our lives. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You get more flies with honey, no? Is that not uh, the saying? (laughs) But that framing is really important, I think, in anything. If you want to get anything in life, you know, framing it in a positive way that's not accusing the other person, that's not making them feel bad and making them feel defensive is definitely the first step to kind of getting what you want. But in some cases, you know, and you're right, Jess, I mean, sometimes we have a fantasy, it's hotter in our, our minds than it will be in real life. But some people do have fantasies that they've always wanted to experience and maybe it's really gnawing at them that they just can't make that happen for themselves for whatever reason. Maybe they have a BDSM fantasy and their partner's just really not into kink and they don't have that uh, ability to, to explore outside of their relationship. What happens if you do tell your partner a fantasy that you have in a very nice, approachable, positive way and your partner is absolutely dead set, not into the idea of, of doing that or helping fulfill whatever it is that you want to do? Is there a way to work that out? Marla, what do you think? Ah, that's a difficult one. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Of course, there's no straight answer. I like, you know, I like the hard questions here. <laughs> I mean, because, it, you know, if you, uh, the way that Jess is talking about, like, you know, seeing the example and, and mentioning the example, you know, having it be a sort of, you know, dinner conversation rather than it being in the bed it can be helpful. But if your partner really isn't, into whatever it is that you're into, I mean, that's like, (laughs) it can be hard to convince them. Well, I don't know necessarily if it's, if you should be convincing them, right, too, because Mm -hmm. that means you're kind of stretching them beyond. But I mean, I would say if it's your fantasy, you know, talk about your fantasy, talk about it, but I would not give them any pressure, Mm -hmm. right, to perform the fantasy or, you know, let that fantasy sort of live in your head for a while to see, you know, if it's living in your head better than it's, you know, than actualizing it in person, then maybe that's the best way to go. Jess, do you have any suggestions on that? Like, I'm like, I, that's a hard one. I agree with you. No, I agree with you. You don't want to ever be pressuring anyone. And, you know, this is one of the limits of monogamy. Let's just be honest that sometimes you will arrive at impasses. And so when we look at ethical non-monogamy and the lens of ethical non-monogamy, really being more focused on exploration as opposed to limitations, I do wish that monogamous people would also consider uh, the ways in which we limit our partners. And so oftentimes in in monogamous relationships, therapists are always working toward compromise, right? Like, like, well, how can we find a middle ground? And what I like about the ethical non-monogamy lens is that we're not necessarily looking for compromise. Sometimes we're looking for alternatives. And we do this all the time. I just want to give you the example of, of social needs. So I need to be out all the time. I'm very, very social. I love to be like partying and enjoying company and I'm always inviting people over. And my partner, Brandon, is not as social as me. I wouldn't say he's antisocial. He's probably just more in like the middle 
territory. And so because my social needs are greater than his, I have things called friends and I have <laughs> different people I hang out with and I hang out with them without him and they come over and, and at a certain time he just goes upstairs without apologizing and he's just done socializing. And so I have alternative sources of fulfillment mm -hmm. when it comes to social. We, we could compare this with anything in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's say I love to work out with my partner, but uh, he likes running and I, I like paddleboarding. So we do these things separately. And I don't say, oh, do you think it would be okay? Do we think we could, I could open it up? How would you feel if I went paddleboarding without you? No, because that seems absurd. And so the monogamous lens, and I'm not suggesting that monogamy is not a good thing for many people, but it's not a good thing for every person. And so number one, I'll say we need to start looking at alternative sources of fulfillment. And that, again, that doesn't necessarily mean you open your relationship up and you can have sex with anyone you want. That works for some people. But it might be, for example, like let's say I have a really strong inclination toward BDSM and my partner is not into it. Let me just say that in order to be compatible, this partner it needs to at least be respectful and open to my fantasies. Do they have to participate in them or facilitate them? Of course not. But if they're judging me, that's when I think we run into a compatibility impasse. So let's say, you know, Brandon is really, really not into BDSM, but it really turns me on. Okay, maybe he's willing to read me scenes from books. Maybe we're willing to watch porn together that, you know, that explores BDSM. Maybe I'm going to go on a cam site and explore BDSM with a, a cam model so that there's no physical contact. So, you know, the, the risk of STI transmission or anything is, is lower. Uh, although, you know, many BDSM activities have a low risk, but anyhow, you know, maybe we look for these alternative solutions as opposed to no way, no how. So I really believe that you should set boundaries and say no when you mean no. However, I would like to eliminate the language of no no mm -hmm. more discussion from relationships. Because mm -hmm. if you say no discussion, then we are losing an opportunity to understand one another. So if I want to go to a sex club and my partner doesn't want to go to a sex club, he has a right to say no way, no how. But I would like him to say, no, I'm really not interested and dive deep and explain why he's not interested. Just like I should dive deep and explain why I'm so interested. What is it that appeals to me? What are the emotional, social, sexual benefits I expect to derive? Mm -hmm. What are the emotional, social, sexual benefits I expect my partner or partners to derive? And then similarly, rather than just saying, nope, I'm not interested. Don't bring it up again. I don't want to talk about it say, okay, I'm really upset by the idea of a sex club, but I appreciate that you shared your fantasy with me. This is why it's so scary to me. I'm afraid that uh, I'm not going to fit in. I'm afraid that I'm going to feel insecure. I'm afraid that I'm going to get a boner. I'm afraid that I'm not going to get a boner. I'm afraid that I'm going to feel pressure. I'm going to, you know, what are your fears when you say no? Because you can say no to anything. And I really think it actually can be good for the relationship if you explore the depths of that no. Mm -hmm. Similarly, I would hope you can request anything while you explore the depths of that desire. Because people will say like, oh, I want to have a threesome. And I ask them why. And all they can tell me is because they think it'll be hot. Okay. But have you thought a little bit deeper about where that threesome fantasy comes from? Is that source a source that you really value? What do you, have you thought about the, the costs and benefits? If you haven't really thought about this, I think that you're not really considering your desires as deeply as you could. And if you're saying no, without thinking about the associated vulnerabilities, then you're killing an opportunity to get close to your partner and have hotter sex.
That's an excellent point. And I thank you both for really emphasizing the not pressuring, the really trying to seek a deeper understanding of your partner and the reasons that they may want or not want to do particular things. It really does help us get a lot more insight. And I think that also builds intimacy. Even like you were saying before, you know, as far as having sex and then it's not always the best experience, that's okay. You still build that intimacy. You still learn something from the experience. So even, you know, exploring your fantasy, like people should not necessarily be scared to try to talk to their partner about, you know, like you said, those feelings that they want to experience within whatever given fantasy. And then try to understand uh, if their partner is into it or not and the reasons that they may or may not want to. There is some kind of, you know, understanding and negotiation potentially. I don't want to say compromise, but there is some kind of negotiation that can be done uh, for people who are maybe afraid of their partner completely outright rejecting them. There is some there maybe is some leeway there. And and I'm not against compromise. I just think that sometimes we need to think beyond compromise. Yeah. And just just be realistic because if if your partner is going to be sexually dissatisfied for the rest of their lives, is that what you want for them? Right? Mm -hmm. Do you want them to miss out? Again, I'm not saying you have to fulfill every one of your partner's fantasies. That would be absurd. And I'm not (laughs) saying you have to be into something you're not into. But I mean, even if I'm not into something, I'm really open to the fact that other people are into it. I think Mm -hmm. it's really hot. And so if you can't derive some pleasure from pleasure for pleasure's sake, I do wonder if there's some work um, that you could be doing with yourself to let go of, you know, some of your own limitations and shame. Oh, good point. Very good point. And, you know, talking to your partner a little bit about what kind of fantasies that you have and planting that seed, like you were saying before. Marla, I know you mentioned that you also um, never, you know, back in the day, you weren't really good at dirty talk, right? And, you know, having been in that workshop of yours, I can definitely tell you, you have made quite the turnaround. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, but that's okay, because some people really just don't have uh, that gift, that natural gift. It's something that's learned, right? We there are, Like anything else in life, most of our skills are learned and our sex skills are learned. Trial and error, you try some stuff out, it doesn't work, okay, you learn, you move on, you develop your skills, you practice, you practice, you practice, and you listen to experts like Marla and Jess <laughs> to, who can help guide you. And you know, now as far as the way everything is reliant on technology and there's so many new ways that you can learn how to uh, find out more about your partner and explore your fantasies and start to, you know, dirty talk and use all this technology is a very hot foreplay. So I say in a lot of my seminars, I do a seminar called The Art of Sexting. And I talk a lot about how you don't have to be Shakespeare to write a good sext, right? And I think that, you know, when you do your workshops about dirty talk, Marla, you also kind of say that you don't have to be the best dirty talker ever to get started. So what advice, what are some maybe tips that you have for somebody who is starting to use all the technologies available to us to try to seduce their partner, but really have no clue where to start? Don't get discouraged, you know, like keep trying, like, like what you just said, you know, it's all about the practice. Like we didn't get this way. I didn't be, because I was just gifted, right? Like (laughs) practice and practice and practice and practice knowledge, knowledge, practice, you know, all of these things that have culminated over time. Um, So, you know, don't be so hard on yourself and practice. That's what I would say. Jess, what do you think in terms of also using like the different technologies that we have available to us to, you know, entice our partners? Oh, man. It's it's interesting because technology is framed so negatively. Um, When we think about sexting, we always think of it as like a high-risk activity. But, you know, the only real risk is your photos being leaked. Like there's not a risk of unplanned pregnancy. There's not a risk of STI. 
transmission. So I think we need to start seeing technology more, more positively mm-hmm. and being playful with it. Like, you know, there are really simple ways to protect yourself, like leaving your face out. One of Marla's pieces of advice is, you know, when you're taking pictures, use a selfie stick to get, get your best angles. I know a lot of people who get really turned on by taking their own photos, right? Like you can even just do it for yourself. Um, And Marla talks about lighting and like using different angles, uh, tidying up your room. Uh, One of my favorite things that I learned from the book. So when you're co-authoring, you learn from your your (laughs) co-author. One one thing I really loved was Marla's suggestion of voice notes because I'm an audio person. My Mm. partner's voice and all the people I'm ever attracted to, it's really about their voice. So sometimes people would say, oh, you, have, you don't really have a type, but they're only looking physically. And I'm not a very physical person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that Brandon, my partner, is very physically and aesthetically nice to look at. But, <laughs> uh, but I find a lot of people really nice to look at. Like he happens to conform to like a magazine type of look, but uh, voice notes, uh, this is something Marla taught me about, you know, the sound of a lover's voice, even if they're not talking dirty, can be really comforting, it can be really hot. And again, when we think about seduction and sex, we often just think about getting turned on and getting off. But a, a big part of it for me is the connection and like the feeling of feeling safe and feeling comforted. Like when I hear my husband even just like read, sometimes he will read to me at night. I love it. Um, And so I think you can use voice notes if you don't like typing and, you know, and then maybe you can move on to video. I, I know some of my clients will videotape themselves talking or teasing or touching, but totally in the dark so that their partner has to kind of you know, figure out what they're doing so that there's something left to the imagination. If, if you're a little bit older, you're familiar with the squigglies, like when the TV, the channels that you didn't used to get, <laughs> like the higher channels and the porn <laughs> at night would be all kind of blocked by the squigglies. And then every so often the like moon would align with the sun and Saturn and there you'd get like a, a, a clear boob for a moment. <laughs> so you, and there was something very exciting about that. Uh, And then the the last thing is for like sexting, you don't even have to send videos of yourself. If there are kind of sexy gifts or sexy videos that are in the public domain that might turn your partner on or that made you think of your partner, I think those are great places to start just to create, like, I don't want to say create content, but create connection uh, without having to even film yourself. So you have so many options. And uh, I know Marla's great at giving you the prompts for what you can actually say to your partner via sex. Oh, wow. Oh, I can't wait for this book. Honestly, I mean, seriously, you're both two of my favorite people. You have so much great advice. It's going to be packed in there. Tell us a little bit about how we can get it. It's coming out super soon. I want everyone to get themselves a copy. How can they get their hands on some? So you can, I mean, it'll probably be your local bookstore. I know in Atlanta, we have Karis Books, which is a longest running feminist bookstore in the nation. You can get it from there. You can pre-order it from there. You can also you know, get it on Amazon, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll we'll have links on our websites and our, on our social channels. It's the ultimate guide to seduction and foreplay. And yeah, we'll be blasting you with it. Well, as soon as I get my copies, I'll be uh, taking it. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us a little bit about all the places on social that we can connect with you and that we can find out more about the ultimate guide to seduction and foreplay. Jess, you want to start? Sure, you can find me at sexwithdrjess.com and sexwithdrjess on all social media. Marla? 
Yes, you can find me uh, velvetlipssexed.com and velvetlipssexed, but no E in the sex, you know, scared of all sesta fosta stuff, but on social media or one Marla Stewart. I love it. I'm so excited to get my little hands on one of those books. You can never know too much about sex and how to seduce your partner. And I'm really, really excited to get started with that. My lovers, thank you in advance. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both so much for joining me again today, Marla and Jess. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode, my lectual friend. Thank you all for listening today. Don't forget you can learn more about sex, health, and relationships as you seek yourself, discover together, and connect at sdc.com. Use my promo code 7070 to get two months free at SDC and try it out for yourself. Tune in live on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Variety Channel for my next show. And you can always get my podcast episodes on demand whenever you want them on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. Thanks for joining me, Lexi Silver, on Seek, Discover, Create. Until next time, stay lectual, people. Bye. We appreciate you joining us on Seek, Discover, Create, presented by SDC.com. Please join your host, Lexi Silver, on another erotic journey next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, may you enjoy exploring your sexuality. 